1: gentlemen thank you for standing by my name is michelle and i will be your conference operator today welcome to the fortis qq 2020 conference call and webcast during the call all participants will be in a listen only mode there will be a question and answer session following the presentation at those time those questions should push star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star zero. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Stephanie and, and Mimo. Please go ahead, Ms. Mimo.
0: Thanks, Michelle, and good morning, everyone. And welcome to Fortis' second quarter 2020 results conference call. I'm joined by Barry Perry, President and CEO, and Jocelyn Perry, Executive VP and CFO other members of the senior management team, as well as CEOs from certain subsidiaries. Before we begin today's call, I want to remind you that the discussion will include forward-looking information, which is subject to the cautionary statement contained in the supporting slideshow. Actual results can differ materially from the forecast projections included in the forward-looking information presented today. All non-GAAP financial measures referenced in our prepared remarks are reconciled to the related U.S. GAAP financial measures in our second quarter 2020 MD&A. Also, unless otherwise specified, all financial information references in Canadian dollars. With that, I will turn the call over to Barry.
2: Thank you, Stephanie, and good morning, everyone. When we spoke last quarter, we were just starting to understand the challenging impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on North America and the world. Three months later, we continue to see the effects of the virus on our people and the communities we serve. At Fortis, We have lived with spikes in COVID-19 cases in some of our jurisdictions like New York and Michigan. Currently, the people of Arizona, our UNS employees, and their families are facing the consequences of the spread of the disease. Our hearts go out to everyone affected. Our utilities remain vigilant during these uncertain times. We are focused on ensuring our employees, customers, and communities are safe. Nothing is more important to us. We also know the responsibility we hold as an essential service provider. I am heartened to see the commitment of our employees at home and in the field as they keep the lights on and the natural gas flowing. Thank you to each and every one of you. From a financial perspective, the pandemic impacts have been manageable to date and relate primarily to reduced sales in the Caribbean as well as higher direct costs and credit losses. Together, these represented about three cents of EPS during the quarter. Last quarter, we disclosed that 82% of our annual revenues are either protected by regulatory mechanisms or or are from residential sales, which were expected to increase during the pandemic. As expected, we did see higher residential sales and lower commercial and industrial sales. We recognize that the pandemic is ongoing, and we intend to continue to take the necessary measures to protect our employees, customers, and communities, all while delivering safe, reliable, and affordable service. Now, I'd like to update you on the progress made on several fronts in our business in the second quarter. First, on the regulatory front, FERC issued an order on the MISO-based ROE matter at ITC. In British Columbia, Fortis BC received a final order on its multi-year rate plan for 2020 to 2024, and TEP continued to progress the rate case in Arizona. Jocelyn will walk through these developments in more detail in her remarks. During the quarter, we advanced our commitment to delivering cleaner energy to customers and creating a more sustainable future. In June, Tucson Electric Power filed its integrated resource plan with the Arizona Corporation Commission, outlining an ambitious target to reduce carbon emissions by 80% by 2035, compared to 2005 levels. More recently, we released our 2020 sustainability report and signed on to the Black North Initiative, which is committed to removal of systemic barriers negatively affecting the black community. Also, we invested $2 billion of capital into our systems during the first half of the year, supporting adjusted earnings per common share of 56 cents for the second quarter and $1.23 year to date. Overall, our team continues to maintain operational and financial performance amidst the pandemic. Turning to slide five, here we have provided an updated look at the year-over-year sales trends in our local jurisdictions during the second quarter. Generally speaking, our utilities continue to see an increase in residential sales and a decline in commercial and industrial sales as businesses continue to operate at a reduced level. As you might recall, last quarter we identified UNS Energy and our other electric segment as having exposure to changes in sales. In fact, during the quarter, we saw total sales at those segments increase by 3%. Higher residential sales, mainly due to warmer weather in Arizona, was the main driver, partially tempered by lower commercial sales due to travel restrictions halting tourism in the Caribbean. Overall, retail sales in Arizona were up 9%, while other electric sales were down 3%. And excluding weather impacts in Arizona, sales at UNS Energy were up 2% over 2019 levels, mainly due to higher residential sales. Speaking of Arizona, we are very excited about TEP's new target to reduce carbon emissions 80 percent by 2035. To achieve this goal, TEP will require over 2,400 megawatts of new wind and solar power systems, including approximately 450 megawatts that will be coming online over the next year. In addition, TEP expects to add 1,400 megawatts of new energy storage systems. Once completed, TEP will have more than 70% of its power sourced from renewable generation. The Integrated Resource Plan also calls for TEP to ramp down and ultimately retire two units at the coal-fired Springerville Generating Station in 2027 and 2032. Upon retirement of Unit 2 in 2032, Fortis expects to have a coal-free generation mix. These changes will result in TUP avoiding more than 50 million tons of CO2 emissions over the next 15 years, equivalent to taking approximately 700,000 passenger vehicles off the road on an annual basis. I want to congratulate Dave Hutchins and the team in Arizona for bringing forth this impressive plan which continues our progress on a clean energy future for customers in Arizona. As we continue to focus on our core business of regulated energy delivery, sustainability is front and center in all that we do. Beyond TEP's new carbon emission targets, our newly released sustainability report highlights some of our other initiatives, including Fortis BC's 30 by 30 goal, which aims to reduce greenhouse gas emissions associated with customer energy use by 30% by 2030. This target at Fortis BC which is primarily a natural gas distribution company, is one of the most ambitious reduction targets among Canadian utilities. The report also showcases our investments dedicated to asset resiliency, modernization, and cleaner energy initiatives. In total, these investments represent about 70% of our $4.3 billion 2020 capital plan. In addition, the report highlights some of our recent disclosure enhancements, including our alignment with the recommendations of the task force on climate-related financial disclosures and expansion of various metrics. The report also emphasizes our new inclusion and diversity framework, which solidifies our commitment to take an active role on this front. Today, 40% of our Fortis Inc. directors, three of our 10 utility presidents, and 60% of employees at our corporate head office are female. Lastly, the report outlines how our local leaders are supporting their communities. In 2019, more than $12 million in community investment was made by the Fortis Group of Companies. As mentioned, during the first half of 2020, we invested $2 billion in our energy systems, or 47% of our annual capital plan, and remain committed to our $4.3 billion capital expenditure plan in 2020. Major capital projects are progressing as planned. ITC received a key regulatory approval from the Iowa Utilities Board to proceed with the multi-value Project 5. The 345 kilovolt transmission line will help expand system capacity and respond to consumer demands for more cost-effective renewable energy sources in the region. And in Northern Ontario, We recently raised the first tower in the 1,800-kilometer Nikitiap Transmission Power Project, a milestone we are very proud of. Finally, the 250-megawatt Osogron Wind Project at TEP is progressing as planned. In fact, all 62 towers and turbines were installed during the first half of 2020, and TEP is in the process of installing the final remaining turbine blades. Turning to slide nine, the five-year capital plan of $18.8 billion remains unchanged. As you will recall, the capital plan is focused on our regulated businesses and consists of a diverse mix of highly executable, low-risk projects needed to maintain and upgrade our existing infrastructure. In 2019, mid-year rate base was $28 billion and is projected to grow to $34.5 billion by 2022, and 38.4 billion by 2024. This yields three-year and five-year compound annual growth rates of approximately 7%, which is consistent with our prior rate-based growth guidance. For 46 consecutive years, we have increased our dividend. This track record positions us as a leader in dividend growth. Our low-risk energy delivery business gives us confidence to continue this record. I'll now turn the call over to Jocelyn for an update on our second quarter results.
3: Thank you, Barry, and good morning, everyone. Turning to slide 12, reported earnings for the second quarter of 2020 were $274 million, or $0.59 cents per common share, compared to earnings of $720 million, or $1.66 per common share, for the second quarter of 2019. On a year-to-date basis, Reported earnings were $586 million, or $1.26 per common share, compared to earnings of approximately $1 billion, or $2.39 per common share last year. Reported earnings for both the second quarter and year-to-date 2019 reflect a significant one-time net gain of $484 million from the sale of our 51 percent interest in the Juanita expansion. 2020 earnings also reflect the impact of FERC's ROE decision received in May, including a favorable earnings impact of $27 million at ITC related to the reversal of prior period accruals. And I'll get into that order in more detail in a couple of slides. On an adjusted basis, EPS for the quarter was $0.56, cents, $0.02 cents higher compared to the previous year. During the second quarter, EPS was favorably impacted by strong rate-based growth at our regulated utilities and higher retail sales at UNS Energy, primarily due to warmer weather. EPS was tempered by lower earnings at our Caribbean utilities with the decline in tourism-related activities and incremental COVID-related costs, mainly at Central Hudson. A higher weighted average common share count also tempered EPS for the quarter. On a year-to-date basis, adjusted EPS was $1.235 cents lower than the previous year. While year-to-date EPS was favorably impacted by similar items noted for the quarter, the overall decrease in year-to-date EPS was driven by lower earnings at UNS due to regulatory lag and a further impact of higher-weighted average shares outstanding compared to last year. Slides 13 and 14 provide additional details on the EPS drivers for the quarter and year to date. First, on slide 13, our U.S. electric and gas utilities contributed a $0.04 EPS increase for the quarter. Our Arizona business contributed $0.05 offset by $0.01 reduction from central Hudson. Warmer weather in Arizona resulted in an approximate $0.03 EPS increase compared to last year. As you may recall, in 2019, Tucson experienced its coolest second quarter in the last 20 years. Additionally, in the second quarter, UNS realized partial recovery in the market value of certain assets that are held in trust to support retirement benefits. At Central Hudson, an increase in operating costs was driven by certain direct pandemic costs, including the sequestering of key operational staff. And as a reminder, Central Hudson's revenues are protected by regulatory mechanisms. However, the incremental operating costs are expensed as incurred. Central Hudson is tracking all COVID-19 related costs in conjunction with the generic proceeding initiated by the New York Public Service Commission. Although we cannot predict the timing and outcome of this proceeding, if regulatory recovery is achieved, this could add to earnings in a future period. Combined, our Western Canadian regulated utilities and ITC contributed a $0.03 EPS increase during the quarter. The increase was primarily attributable to rate-based growth and lower business development costs at ITC. Lower operating expenses at our Western Canadian utilities also contributed to the increase, and that was mainly due to timing associated with the recent decision on FortisBC's multi-year rate plan. Next, a higher U.S. dollar to Canadian dollar foreign exchange rate favorably impacted quarterly results by one cent. The one cent EPS decrease for our other electric segment was mainly attributable to lower commercial sales in the Caribbean due to the COVID-19 pandemic. As Barry discussed, sales in our other electric segment were down three percent in the quarter, driven by lower commercial sales in the Caribbean. Excluding Eastern Canadian sales, the Caribbean experienced a decrease in electric sales of approximately 9% during the quarter, mainly due to the impact of travel restrictions on tourism. In our corporate and other segments, the $0.01 negative EPS impact was mainly due to a gain on the repayment of debt recognized in the second quarter of 2019, partially offset by lower finance charges. And lastly, a higher number of shares contributed a $0.04 EPS decrease decrease for the quarter. Turning to slide 14, adjusted year-to-date EPS decreased by $0.05 compared to the same period in 2019. Year-to-date EPS was impacted by many of the same drivers for the quarter. Rate-based growth at our regulated utilities and warmer weather in Arizona favorably impacted EPS for the first half of 2020. Year-to-date EPS was tempered by higher costs at UNS Energy associated with rate-based growth not yet included in rates. As you will recall, TEP awaits a decision on its most recent rate case, which I'll discuss shortly. Earnings were also lower at UNS due to a reduction in the market value of certain assets that are held in a trust to support retirement benefits. This impact for the first six months was about $0.02 and was a result of the financial market volatility associated with COVID-19. In addition to these items, the impact of the FERC order at ITC tempered year-to-date earnings, EPS, by approximately $0.01. And lastly, a higher weighted average number of common shares lowered EPS by nine cents for the first half of 2020 compared to the same period in 2019. As you can see on slide 15, our utilities were active in the debt capital markets issuing approximately 2 billion in debt since March 2020. More recently, Fortis BC issued its inaugural green bond, the first green bond for a natural gas utility in Canada. The offering received strong investor demand and final pricing reflected the lowest long dated Canadian corporate coupon on record. We have approximately 5 billion in total liquidity leaving Fortis position near the top of our sector. Our conservative approach to running the business including the equity issuance and sale of the Juanita expansion in 2019 strongly positions us as we continue to work through the COVID-19 pandemic and execute on our capital plan. In May, we received an order from FERC regarding ITC's MISO-based ROE. As you recall, in November 2019, FERC issued an order on the MISO-based ROE, which resulted in an all-in ROE of 10.63%, including current incentive adders. The ROE was premised on a calculation using a discounted cash flow model and a capital asset pricing model. In the most recent order, FERC adjusted its ROE methodology to include a modified risk premium model in addition to the discounted cash flow and capital asset pricing models. Although FERC did not adopt the expected earnings model in the revised methodology, the Commission noted that that its use could be considered in future proceedings if certain uh, conditions surrounding its use were addressed. FERC also denied the request for rehearing on complaint number two and affirmed that no refunds are due for the second complaint. In aggregate, the changes made by FERC result in a new MISO-based ROE of 10.02%. With incentive adders, this implies an all-in go-forward ROE of 10.77% compared to the 10.63% all-in ROE that ITC was previously collecting. The incremental 14 basis points is expected to increase annual EPS by one to two cents on a go forward basis. The recalibration of prior period net accruals for ROE refunds resulted in a favorable EPS impact of six cents reflected in reported earnings for the second quarter. Now turning to updates on some of our additional regulatory proceedings. With regard to the two notice of inquiry issued in March 2019, FERC issued a Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, or NOPR, in March 2020 on the Transmission Incentives Inquiry. The proposal could mean that ITC would be eligible for additional ROE adders, including project-specific incentives. Comments from stakeholders were provided to FERC through July, on July 1st. In Arizona, the TEP rate case remains outstanding. As you may recall, due to COVID-19, the Arizona Corporation Commission extended the procedural schedule. Hearings concluded in June, and post-hearing briefs are scheduled for July and August. We continue to expect a decision in late 2020. The New York Public Service Commission approved Central Hudson's request to delay the implementation of the previously approved July 1st electric and gas rate increase for three months to help customers through the financial challenges of COVID-19. The revenues will be deferred and collected over the remaining nine months of the rate year from October 1st through June 30th, 2021. Also, in June, the New York Public Service Commission initiated a generic proceeding into the impacts of COVID-19 pandemic on the state's utilities, customers, and commission-adopted programs. Central Hudson, as part of a coalition of utilities, filed initial comments in July. We cannot predict the timing or outcome, but view this as a positive development. Shifting to our Western Canadian utilities, in June, the British Columbia Utilities Commission issued a final order approving Fortis Species multi-year rate plan. The order sets the rate-setting framework for 2020 through 2024. And as a reminder, the cost of capital was not a part of this proceeding and the order was in line with management's expectations. During the quarter, Fortis BC also received a final order on its COVID-19 customer recovery fund. The order established a rate-based deferral account for bill credits, credit losses, and payment deferrals up to June 30, 2020, associated with the pandemic. The recovery method will be determined through a future filing once the financial Im- impacts of the pandemic are known. As discussed last quarter, the ongoing generic cost of capital proceeding for Alberta utilities, including Fortis, Alberta, was suspended in March as a result of the pandemic. As part of the proceeding, the AUC offered the utilities five options for setting allowed ROEs and capital structures for 2021. In July, Fortis, Alberta notified the AUC that it had selected the third option, the extension of the currently approved cost of capital parameters on a final basis for 2021 one full quarter at a time, and continuing until the end of the quarter in which the Commission makes a decision, which is expected sometime in 2021. The formal proceeding is to set new cost of capital parameters prospectively in 2021, and for 2022 is expected to resume once the financial market affects them, the COVID-19 pandemic stabilizes. Fortis Alberta awaits a decision by the AUC in the review and variance and stay on implementation of the September 2019 order, which significantly changed the Alberta electric system operators' customer contribution policy related to transmission investment. Fortis Alberta filed additional evidence in July, and additional procedural steps are expected to conclude in September. A decision is expected in late 2020. And lastly, while not included on the slide, new rates went into effect at Fortis TCI in July following the delayed rate increase originally scheduled for April. The new rates include the recovery of hurricane-related costs incurred in 2017. Overall, a busy yet constructive quarter on the regulatory front. This concludes my remarks, and I'll now turn the call back to Barry.
2: Thank you, Jocelyn. Our decentralized model where local teams have the authority to manage their businesses allows us to navigate through the pandemic with an acute focus on employee safety and reliable service. Lastly, with 93% of our assets dedicated to energy delivery, we have a light carbon footprint and a strong sustainability profile. And now with the ambitious emission reduction targets set at TEP and Fortis BC, our teams have an opportunity to advance advance a low-carbon future for generations to come, all while supporting our growth strategy over the long run. This concludes my remarks. I'll now turn the call back over to Stephanie.
0: Thank you, Barry. This concludes the presentation. At this time, we'd like to open the call to address questions from the investment community.
1: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We will now connect the question and answer period. If you would like to now register a question, please press star followed by the one on your telephone. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the pound sign. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before entering your request. One moment, please, for the first question. Our first question comes from Robert Kwan from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
4: Great, good morning. Um, I, I, the first question I've got is just asking as we head into the elections in the US and recognizing it's gonna be hard to be specific, but if you have any directional commentary on, you know, assuming under the current administration status quo, would you have any additional comments that would be helpful? But if there is a change in administration, um, two two things I'd be interested in your comments. One, uh, the impact or potential impact of retracing um, tax reform as well as uh, initiatives to reduce carbon emissions further and what you think that could mean for you for accelerated spending. And and if you want to tie that to the uh, the TEP uh, IRP, that, that would be helpful as well.
2: Well, thank you, Robert. And you know, it, it is election season in America, so uh, clearly, uh, lots of uh, lots of chatter about that. And uh, you know, maybe we'll focus on if there is a switch in the government. You know, clearly, uh, I think some of the things that we have been pursuing, whether it's uh, in terms of the um, move to a cleaner energy future, I guess in Arizona, or you know, ITC's focus on. On sort of renewable energy and, and hooking up the wind in the Midwest, you know, I think all of that really is supported uh, by uh, by the Democrats, and and I do believe that that uh, you know that would that would continue to be a a positive backdrop for Fortis uh, going forward. Clearly, a reversal of uh, the tax reductions uh, would see um, an increase in tax rates, and that's an increase in cost for the delivery of our services to our customers. We would expect that our regulators would allow uh, those those costs to be passed on to uh, to our customers, like like the you know when we passed on the uh, reductions in um, in, t- in tax rates. I, I do believe that uh, for holding companies like Fortis, who have you know incurred uh, some debt to acquire businesses in the U.S., um, you know high. I, it's sort of funny, but a higher tax rate actually is a, is a positive from an EPS perspective because our interest costs are deductible at higher tax rates. So we did get a, a negative hit when tax rates uh, got reduced. There would be a positive uh, uh, contribution to EPS if tax rates uh, rose. As well, I think our cash flows as a business would improve as, you know, we're not really expected to be tax payable for a number of years. So, so increases in tax collections from customers would contribute to our annual cash flows and bolster our credit metrics uh, on a go-forward basis. So I think we're in a good spot, no matter what really happens uh, with the up- upcoming election. And
4: just as it relates to, to the impact of prior tax reform, I believe the last disclosure you gave was a roughly 3% negative impact to earnings and then cash flow while you didn't by a number, I think Moody's at that point, was 150 to 250 basis point negative impact on the cash flow to debt metric, and you expected to be well inside of that. Can you just talk about what actually unfolded um, in terms of how you've seen that impact your business?
3: Robert, this is Jocelyn. Yeah, so with U.S. tax reform, we did see a couple of penny pennies uh, on our EPS with U.S. tax reform, and for cash, it was, yeah, a little over 100 basis points, I would say, to our CFO to debt metric, so... Barry, Barry is right. We would expect everything else being equal, and, and if the legislation looks similar to the, the legislation of U.S. tax reform, then, uh, you know, you really you would think that it would just be simply a reversal of that.
4: Got it. Um, if I can just finish with a um, question, yes, it also relates somewhat to tax. You, you hooked a reversal on the anti-hybrid um, in the quarter. My question actually, though, is more about, um, I guess, and a little bit back to tax reform. But when that was introduced, as well as some of the BEPS pronouncements, I think the commentary from you was that none of that you expected to be material to your existing cross-border structures. Excuse me. I'm just wondering with the booking in this quarter, has your view changed on on any of that with terms of the existing structures or the ability to use structures on the cross-border side going forward?
3: No, Robert, I would say our view is still the same. Um, uh, It's not expected to be material to Fortis. That's
5: great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robert.
1: And your next question will come from Rob Hope from Scotiabank. Your line is open.
4: Morning, everyone.
6: Um, Just a question on the uh, IRP in Tucson. When do you think you could see capex starting to ramp up there? And are you you viewing that as potentially something you could add to your backlog at the upcoming Investor Day? And does this kind of backfill the uh, you know the rate-based growth uh, into the middle part of the decade?
2: So, Rob, I'm going to let David Hutchins uh, respond to that. But I will say, you know, uh, we're just in the early innings, really. We filed the uh, IRP and uh, you know, we've got to work through some processes with our regulator uh, in Arizona on this, and uh, make sure that we have uh, support for for the plan. So I think it's a little early, but David, maybe you can offer your thoughts.
7: Yeah, Rob, good good to good to hear from you this morning. Uh, you're you're spot on, Barry. Um, what we're looking at now is trying to lay in all of the projects that we would need. That, you know, 2,400 megawatts of renewables in the form of wind and and solar, and obviously the the battery storage as well, and all of these projects also come with uh, transmission interconnections and other investments that we need to make on our side. So we're in the process of laying out a timeline. I, I would note that a lot of these investments are back end loaded, sort of at years five through fifteen, um, but we do have some that we're trying to lay in in the, in the next five years. So. You will definitely hear more about that in the future as we build up that uh, capital plan for the next five years, and then have a have a good look out for that following ten. All right, thanks. And then a follow up on
4: Robert's
6: question on tax reform. You know, as you look for as you look forward to the kind of the next round of rate filings. Um, you know, could you see yourself potentially delay some of them just to ensure that uh, you can capture the next phase of tax reform if it does come to bear uh, or rather than, uh, you know, rather than wait to see if it's on a standalone proceeding?
2: I think, Rob, you know, we don't really like, have many filings in front of us. We, you know, when you think about it, in the next, say, 12 months, uh, you know, we just, uh, we just uh, we're completing a case in Arizona. Uh, we just got a, a you know Canadian context. Obviously, the case in uh, in BC done. Uh, Central Hudson is uh, you know will be filing a case shortly. I don't think that's going to be delayed for the next you know next three years. So I, I you know I, I don't I don't see that affecting any of those schedules really because I think we're really in fact we're probably entering a period of somewhat um, you know regulatory stability here for a little while now. So that's that's a good place to be because it gives it'll give us some time to sort of uh, Figure out what what this new tax plan is going to be if there is a change in the in the in direction in the in the U.S. You know it's going to take some time. You know we're just you know, just think about it. We're just now reporting on the final remnants of U.S. tax reform, and there's another presidential election underway, right? So so like it's taken us basically three and a half years to get to this point right now. So so these things take a while to figure out, and uh, we're fortunate that we we have uh i think a good runway now to to digest this if, if it
1: does come
4: i uh, appreciate the colors thank you
1: thank you rob and your next question comes from ryan greenwald from bank of america your line is open good
4: morning team thanks for taking our questions good morning ryan can you just talk a little bit more about your confidence on getting the rate case done at UNS this year, and is the settlement definitely off the table at this point?
2: So, David, this one's on you, man.
7: <laughs> yes. Yes, we are confident that we will get a decision uh, by year end. In fact, we're uh, this week wrapping up the last bit of um, of written testimony that goes in, which is our reply brief. That's filed next week. Um, then the, the judge, the ALJ, has the entire uh, docket before her to be able to get a recommended opinion and order uh, written up, and so we see uh, ample timeline to get a decision uh, later this year. As far as the settlement, it's we're 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 done uh, with the process, so it wouldn't make sense to backtrack and and try trading uh, off different pieces at this point. Got it.
8: And then,
4: can you guys just provide a bit more color on load trends so far in July? kind of given the evolving situation of the pandemic and what you're seeing in Arizona and the Caribbean
9: specifically?
2: So I would say, Ryan, it's pretty similar to what we experienced in Q2. You know, we, we have continued with some warm weather in Arizona. Um, I think, David, it's like 108 there today, I think you uh, you mentioned. So uh, and we're not really seeing any pickup in the Caribbean. You know, they have started to open up the borders in the Caribbean and allowing, Uh, you know, tourists uh, to come in, um, you know, but in reality, there's not very many people traveling at this point in time, so I think we're going to be dealing with the slowdown in the Caribbean for probably for the rest of this year. We might get a, a gradual pickup as we head to the end of the year, but nothing that significant, I don't think.
4: Great. Appreciate the time.
2: Thank you, Ryan
1: next question comes from Mark Jarvie from CIBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
5: Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, maybe just a few questions on the um, BCU rate decision so far. and I, I know it's not finalized yet, but maybe any commentary in terms of, I think there's some in, in the filings around revisiting 2023, 2024, CapEx and certain investments. Just maybe give us some context on what that is and if there's anything around the earning sharing mechanism or going in on them
2: costs that you guys feel you need to sort of fight around. Sorry, Mark, the first part of what you said, we, we lost it. Was it related to Fortis PC that you're describing? Yeah, that's correct. I think there were some
5: comments in the decision around CapEx for 2023 and 2024. And I think you guys have to resubmit around that. I'm just wondering what that could mean for rate-based growth in those utilities. Uh,
2: Roger, can you offer your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sure, uh, can you hear me okay, Mark?
6: Yep. Yeah. So um, the, the MRP decision on capital, uh, unlike the previous PBR, where we're capital escalated on formula based off of a base year, um, we see uh, a change here where we forecast what we call our base capital, which is all capital not requiring a, a CPCN uh and instead of trying to forecast over five years we've got approval for our base capital uh for the uh the first three years and then we come back come back and reforecast years four and five and that um ensures that we're not going to have a situation where we're outside of um uh, forecast either above or below um, which gives us a bit more um I think as we move through what we call our base capital it doesn't impact the major cap projects that require a CPCM though
5: okay and, and anything around the sharing mechanism and um, in, in terms of the incentive rate making that surprised you or is it largely within the scope not of that you in the outcome
6: yeah no surprise on the earning sharing mechanism that's um, that's uh, more or less consistent uh, and that is the incentive to the extent that we share Uh, savings uh, with our customers I think Um, a couple of uh, surprises uh, in the application we had just come out of a a performance-based rate making structure for both utilities Uh, we delivered significant savings out of those um, uh, uh, constructs we had previously dealt with a one percent uh, 1.03% on electric and a 1.10% on gas, might've had it backwards, but basically 1% productivity improvement factor uh, annually. Uh, so we were uh, expecting no productivity improvement factor. Instead we got a 0.5%, um, not, not not insignificant, but uh, something we can manage. Uh, but that was a bit of a surprise uh, having come out of a PBR, but no concerns with the mechanism itself. It, going to work
5: as we expect it, um, uh, similar to the last PBR. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Roger. And then kind of going back to, to potentially change administration, you guys talked about timelines, IRP and TEP, but maybe just anything incremental on ITC, whether it's continued support, whether it's faster permitting um, for transmission, if it's, it's support for more renewables and the, the requirement for transmission, and just in terms of how quick you think that it. Would you know take to roll out
2: um,
5: from positively impacting ITC's investment opportunities? Well,
2: Mark, great question on ITC. You know, I will have to say uh, ITC continues to perform very well for us. And uh, when I think about our Fortis footprint of uh, where we, you know, where our investments are, you know, I'm so happy that uh, we own the largest independent owner of transmission in in the United States. You know that 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 footprint that ITC owns uh, is uh, very, very valuable and is right in the sweet spot of everything that's happening in our sector as we push for more clean energy, a more resilient grid. So, so uh, you know, we're really looking forward to what uh, ITC is going to be doing for Fortis over the next number of years. Linda, maybe you can offer some detailed comments on how you see how you see sort of the, the change and possible change in government and ITC's evolution over the next few years.
10: Yeah, thanks, uh, Barry. And I, I think you're spot on, Barry. But, uh, you know, I would just say this is, you know, we have been very fortunate in that regardless of the sort of the administration and the controlling party, you know, we consistently had particularly from FERC, you know, a strong view towards the need for continued investment in transmission. You know, and, and obviously, you know, in, in times today and as we look out into the future in order to continue to facilitate the transition to more renewables, you know, I think we feel pretty comfortable and confident that regardless of if it's a Democratic or Republican administration, um, we continue to see and believe we have continued support and need for that. Um, I would say, however, um, you know, we have seen uh, recently, you know, just in terms of some of the current um, Policy initiatives and sort of draft legislation that's circulating in Congress, whether it be the Clean Act or the Moving Forward Act, um, the Climate Select Report. You know, we're starting to see um, the incorporation of um, concepts around the need for regional or interregional transmission, in order in order to realize sort of this future state of renewables, and so from a macro perspective, um, I think this is probably one of the first times um, you know, we have seen where there is actually federal, a federal view, a federal perspective. Um, I think we could say it's probably at this point coming out of more of the Democrat uh, side, uh, but certainly, um, you know, indications that, you know, in terms of any future environmental legislation, that it definitely appears um, that they want, um, you know, some language included around high voltage transmission, and so from that perspective, I think that's constructive, um, certainly for us and our business, and as Barry said, you know, where we're strategically located, and so we do see that as constructive and positive, but I don't think, um, you know, regardless of, of Democrats or, or Republicans, I think we still believe and see, uh, on both sides of the aisle, a strong interest in research for transmission.
5: Okay. Thanks, Linda. And then maybe a last question around Alberta and those transmission assets. Anything we can infer from the filings around things, around the, the, the tax implications that point towards it going one way or the other, that you would be transferring those to AltaLink or that you guys still feel like you can hold, hold on to those assets?
2: Well, you know, I think we're still uh, – I'm going to let Michael wade in here, but we, we're still uh, off the view that this should not happen. Um, and, uh, it, you know, the order, um, you know, did not, you know, wasn't based on the appropriate evidence. And we supplemented the, our filings with more evidence. Uh, hopefully the commission, um, it's interesting, I think all the five commissioners that were involved in the original decision, none of them are left at the commission at this point in time. So that, that may be a wrinkle as how, how this goes forward. but. Uh, um you know we'll you know we're we're you know we've done our filing and we're hopeful that uh we've made our case Michael you know maybe you can add some color
6: yeah spot on Barry. The only other thing I would add is that the record on the proceeding schedule is now expected to close uh mid September uh, setting up for a decision in uh in late twenty twenty so um just continue to file the, the additional tax evidence with respect to the contribution and awaiting uh, commission action.
5: Okay, we'll keep an eye
1: on that. Thanks. Thank you, Mark. And your next question comes from Matthew Weeks from Industrial Alliance Securities. Your line is open.
2: Uh, good morning. Can you guys hear me okay? Perfectly, Matthew. Good morning. Great, thanks. Um, so just I just have one question regarding the... Uh,
4: Uh, the green bond uh, uh, issuance in BC, and that was, you know, positive in terms of achieving a a low cost of capital and reinforcing the the, uh, investment plan for uh, for sustainable energy. Um, Is this something that you're seeing more interest in, uh, in the market going forward? And is this something you'll be looking at, you know, doing more of and possibly in other jurisdictions as well?
2: Yes, there's more interest. And yes, we'll do more of it. and I'm just so damn proud that Roger and his team could have issued the lowest price piece of long-dated corporate debt in Canadian history. Uh, like, can you imagine? Uh, that's, just, that's just incredible. Uh, thir- I think 30-year debt at a bullet with 2.54% interest rate. Like, that is just that's incredible. And um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely look at doing more of this, uh, not just in Canada, uh, in the U.S. as well. Great. Thanks. That's it for me. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew.
1: Again, if anybody would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Linda Evergalis from TD Securities. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. I'm wondering if you can give us some
9: more colour around um, the FERC uh, notice of proposed rulemaking around transmission incentives. Um, Can you maybe uh, provide some more context around uh, notable uh, comments um, from uh, the various stakeholders, um, including industry groups and Fortis, and how might we think of the timing of resolving this and the uh, bookends of of what might be uh,
2: possible as an outcome? Uh, Linda, you want to, Linda to Linda. Sure.
10: Thanks, Barry, and thanks, Linda, for the question. Yes, sir. I think um, people are probably familiar, and I think as Jocelyn mentioned, we did, we, as well as all the other stakeholder parties, did file comments on the NOI, or I'm sorry, on the NOPR, uh, back on July 1st. Uh, We then subsequently filed some reply comments uh, on July 15th. You know, in terms of our primary comments, um, obviously, you know, we offered comments supporting some of the proposals that the Commission had identified when the issues their Noper. and so those were around, obviously, increasing the RTO participation incentive adder to 100 basis points. Obviously, we uh, fully supported that and made a strong case as to why. Um, we also offered additional commentary around the need uh, to create new incentives around driving economic and reliability benefits some more uh, project-specific um, uh, incentives. You know, we also encourage them to continue to retain sort of what we would call some, some of the non-ROE incentives, so that would be around quick rate base, um, abandoned plant, uh, those types of things, and then uh, really made a, a strong push for creating um, incentives around the context of certain transmission technologies, security investments, And those uh, sorts of, um, you know, concepts or ideas. And so I think as as most of you know, the commission in their NOPER indicated that uh, they were willing to provide up to 250 basis points of additional incentives and essentially uh, signaled um, that they were no, you know, at least they were no longer um, sort of, if you will, containing the incentives up to the upper end of the ROE zone reasonableness. So we really view um, the the Noper on incentives as a real opportunity to try to obtain um, additional incentives that are really going to drive benefits for customers. That was sort of what I think uh, was sort of the biggest shift in sort of how FERC is thinking about the NOI, and that is to sort of align the incentives with the actual benefits um, that are accrued from you know, any type of investment or projects. So, we're really encouraged uh, by the, um, the Commission's proposal. Um, I would say, you know, it was a pretty active docket and pretty active case in terms of um, the parties uh, that filed comments, and those varied uh, from state commissions, uh, industrial user groups, uh, consumer groups, as well as um, another, a number of other industry and transmission owning entities. and so. There was i would say a wide variance in the comments um but we remain hopeful that the FERC will take action uh before the end of the year uh we you know we are encouraged i think by the quick action uh that the commission took in terms of their timeline for when they wanted comments and so we are hopeful that we may see some sort of decision uh prior to the end of the year however i would note uh, there is no timeline or requirement for action, and so we are somewhat, uh, I guess, at the mercy of Burke, I guess, uh, can come to some uh, view and perspective in issue and issue an order, but we remain hopeful.
9: Thank you for the context. Um, as On a slightly separate note, um, maybe um, from a natural gas distribution perspective, would it be possible to get an update on how you're evolving? Some of the initial um, initiatives on renewable natural gas, and potentially, are you uh, exploring um, opportunities related to uh, green hydrogen and um, um, anything on that front would be appreciated.
2: Well, thank you, Linda. I, I have to say, there's so many so many exciting things going on in our British Columbia business and. Um, you know this sort of uh, push for more uh, renewable gas is, is definitely one of those, and and exploring the hydrogen opportunity as well. So Roger, maybe uh, maybe you can give them uh, Linda a, a little more details around some of the things that have been going on in the last uh, little while.
6: Yeah, thanks uh, Barry. Thanks for the question, Linda. Uh, short answer is yes. In, in BC, we've been advancing um, uh, specifically renewable natural gas, uh, the traditional landfill um, uh, or agricultural waste renewable natural gas that we uh, put into our system. Huh? Uh, we've just recently, over the last number of months, gotten approval for a number of uh, new contracts for supply. Uh, we were successful in getting a couple of out-of-province contracts approved, um, which is a good sign, and we just started Uh, We just signed an agreement for our first uh, uh, woody biomass uh, project in B.C., which is uh, uh, significant because if we can um, get scale uh, RNG from woody biomass in the B.C. context, that's a very large supply basin, Uh, so that one we're watching uh, carefully. Uh, We have another number of projects that are in the hopper that um, will increase RNG supply. On the hydrogen side, uh, we have to be part of uh, uh, working teams with other natural gas utilities in the Canadian context who are looking at uh, both green and blue hydrogen, um, and we're looking at hydrogen in a couple of different avenues. One is in closed-loop systems for large industrial sites to displace uh, natural gas use. Uh, we're also looking at blending Uh, of natural gas uh, directly into the system, which is happening in other jurisdictions. So, uh, you know, we see a significant role of uh, what we're calling drop-in fuels or renewable gases, both traditional RNG as well as hydrogen, uh, over the next number of years. That's helpful context. Thank
9: you. Thank you, Linda.
1: The next question comes from David Quazada from Raymond James. Your line is open.
8: Thanks. Morning, everyone. Um, Maybe a a first question here, just a follow-up on the IRP in Arizona. I think David mentioned uh, that you'll need transmission, obviously, to to, um, complement the renewables that you intend uh, to um, develop there. Uh, Are you able to just say, uh, give us uh, some colour around the magnitude of the transmission? um investment that may be required there as you move from kind of that centralized coal um to to wherever the renewables might be cited well
2: i'd probably give you a number but it'd be wrong so david uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know i i, I uh, david hutchins i know that it's not small you know <laughs> but uh, i know it's probably not in the billions but in the hundreds of millions over the over the plan so david any thoughts you could give yeah, uh,
7: David. This is this is David Hutchins. Yeah, it's it's uh, hard to um, uh, to to estimate that now because right now we're not uh, obviously sure where we're going to put all the renewables, where they're going to come from, etc. We're going to try to use as much of our existing transmission system as possible to bring in um, wind and and solar on the the lines where we're shutting down coal plants, and maybe even focusing on developing those renewable projects up there where we're shutting down coal plants in those communities. It's mostly, uh, I would say it's mostly interconnection dollars at, at this point. Um, there is the ability to get more wind out of uh, the Oso Grande project, and so that would require some additional transmission investments that we've been talking about, um, south line uh, mainly. So it's, it's really too early to, to tell at this point, but you can bet we're going to be uh, looking at that very carefully uh, over the next uh, well balance of this year, and then as we go forward.
2: And Dave, just a okay, reminder. Okay, great, thank uh, you. That's... David, uh, this just a reminder that our transmission in Arizona is also regulated by FERC as well. So,
8: great, that's that's good color, thank you. And then maybe just uh, one more follow up there, just with all the storage uh, capacity you're contemplating there. Wondering. Um, does that all make sense from a cost perspective with current technology or are you kind of baking in some kind of uh, technological improvement as you roll it out we, we do have in, in our
7: IRP process we do have a technology curve uh, baked in that reduces those prices over time which is one of the main reasons you'll see storage a little bit more backloaded. Um, but that also has to do with when we're shutting down our, our coal plants as well but it's not a really steep curve it's not uh, super aggressive so we think we're we're right in that right kind of fairway of where um, the technology will actually go. And I think that's really important from our integrated resource plan perspective because this is all built on realistic timelines, prices, et cetera, and technology that we knows, know today and isn't betting on, you know, some some brand-new technology uh, coming in and, and helping us out. So that that's a, that's a big point there.
8: Great. Thank you very much. I'll get back in the queue. Thanks,
1: David. And your next question comes from Brian Greenwald from Bank of America. Your line is open.
4: Appreciate the follow-up. Are you guys able to provide more granular color and break out specific impact for the quarter for commercial and then separately for industrial in Arizona?
2: I don't think so.
1: Okay. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Ryan.
1: As there are no, there further, are no further, questions further questions in queue, I would like to turn the call back over to Stephanie Amimo for closing remarks.
0: Thank you, Michelle. We have nothing further at this time. Thank you for participating in our second quarter 2020 results call. Please, please contact Investor Relations should you need anything further. Thank you for your time and have a great day.
1: Thank you for participating, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.